This morning during confirmation, we uh, were studying the Lord's Prayer and just in the early stages of it, in fact, but um, we, we were studying the, the petition, Hallowed Be Thy Name. And I, and I shared with the students that one of the ways that they can hallow God's name is to do the work that is assigned to them for confirmation and to do it joyfully, to, to be able to truthfully see it as a, as a privilege to be able to spend time in God's word and, and to learn from him. And you know what? That's just as true for each and every one of us here. It is a privilege to be able to come into the Lord's presence. It is a privilege to be able to confess our sins, to confess our faith, to sing the songs of praise that we have. And it is also a privilege to hear his word. And I know that I certainly sense it as a privilege to be able to share it. Today I'm going to share a message with you from John chapter 10, verses 22 through 38. Actually, I'll read through uh, verse 39. And I did give a title to the message. I've entitled my message that you may know and understand. But I was out fishing when I got the text from Mary Jo today, or this earlier this week, asking if I had a title, and I said yes, but I don't remember it. So, and that was really, um, <laughs> that's almost inexcusable because I took it directly from the text. So I must have really been focused on the crappies. <laughs> Let me read to you then in Jesus' name. John 10, 22 through 39. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews therefore gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I will give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Then Jesus said, I and the Father... Are one. The Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? What a question. The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you being a man make yourself out to be God. Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scriptures cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming 
because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Therefore they were seeking again to seize him and he eluded their grasp. There were two women who hadn't, they'd been friends, but they hadn't seen each other for several years and they happened to meet in a grocery store one day and they began talking back and forth and the one woman asked the other, tell me Ruth, how's your son George? And she beamed, oh, he's getting along fine. He's a poet. He just received his master's degree in literature from the university. Wow. What about Mary? Oh, she's just as smart as George, Ruth replied. She graduated from college with a degree in modern art. Wonderful. And and how about little Freddie? How's little Freddie? What's he doing? Well, Ruth said, Freddie is still Freddie. He wouldn't go to college. He became a plumber instead. And then she added, and if it weren't for him, we'd all be starving. John speaks in our text about some Jews. And I believe that specifically these Jews that he makes mention of were the religious leaders of Israel. They were the big names of their day, if you will. Prestigious, respected, men of great accomplishments, at least in their own eyes. They were thought to be the most spiritual people in their society and therefore the most qualified to teach and to lead. But sadly, they were only religious. They were not truly spiritual. They were like George and Mary. Lots of degrees, but they didn't know and they didn't understand Jesus and they couldn't lead people to him because they rejected him in their own hearts and by their own theology. When it came to Jesus, they were skeptics. They were doubters. And and I'm going to take as my theme for the message this morning that skepticism about Christ, its causes and consequences, is contrasted with faith in Christ. I'll say that again. Skepticism about Christ, its causes and consequences, is uh, contrasted with faith in Christ. The first point that I want to make this morning is this, that the skeptic does not lack evidence to the contrary. The famous Atheistic philosopher Bertrand Russell was once asked what he would say to God if he were wrong about his atheism and had to one day stand before God. And his reply was this, Sir, you didn't provide sufficient evidence. Really? Insufficient evidence. And the Jews, the religious leaders, the Pharisees Pharisees and scribes gathered around him and said, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And look at Jesus' response. He said, I told you. 
you do not believe. He went on and said, the works that I do in my Father's name, these bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them. and They shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews took up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? What a good question. Pick one. Was it when I fed the thousands? Was I blaspheming? When I raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, was I blaspheming? When I walked on water, was I blaspheming? And you can go one by one and and realize this, that that in John's Gospel, when he reaches the end of the 10th chapter, he is basically done recording about the public ministry of Jesus. Then he goes in and spends the next 10 chapters speaking about the final week in Jesus' life. So, There's all sorts of works here that you could pick and choose from to decide by which one he was blaspheming. And you get get it, don't you? (laughs) Jesus is saying, look at all that I've done. And yet you choose not to believe. You choose to be a skeptic. But the fact is that the skeptic does not lack evidence to the contrary. You see, it's not that the skeptic lacks evidence. It is that the skeptic lacks the moral and intellectual honesty to consider it. That's the truth. And and, and again, pick the works. If, If you would have been there to be a part of the feeding of the 5,000. If you'd have been there to see him heal a man who'd been paralyzed for 38 years, if you'd been there, just pick and choose any of the the works that Jesus has done. And and it's very interesting, and, and it's important for you to recognize this. In John's Gospel, he doesn't call them miracles. They are, but they're much more than that. They are signs. They signify something even greater than those events themselves. Do you see that? As important, as as magnificent as the feeding of the thousands was, it pointed to something even greater. It pointed to Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah, as the only Savior of the world. And again, just go ahead and pick out your favorite Miracle, but recognize that it is a sign. It's meant to signify something greater. When when I used to live up in Brainerd, about a, oh, I don't know, quarter mile out of town, there was a sign that said Mississippi River. I never once stopped there and fished because 
Mississippi River was about a quarter of a mile downstream, and I can't cast that far. It was a sign, and it signified something way bigger than that measly little sign. The mighty Mississippi was only a quarter of a mile up from there. And I did fish the Mississippi more than once. The miracles of Jesus are signs. Providing evidence to the fact of who Jesus was, that he was exactly the one he claimed to be, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, God in human flesh. And the skeptic never lacks evidence to the contrary. Secondly, I want you to be reminded of the fact that skepticism has no basis in truth. There's an experiment that was conducted in which six bees and six flies were placed inside a bottle. The bottle was turned on its side with its base facing toward the light coming through the window, window excuse me, and at the other end the mouth of the bottle was left open. Now in that situation it was discovered that bees will persist in trying to find their way out to freedom through the base. Good luck. Until they end up dying of hunger or exhaustion. It seems that the bees' attraction to light is their undoing in that experiment. Now, the light shining through the base seems to convince them that there is no other way out. So they, as I remember a movie that our family watched, they, Go toward the light. Now, the flies, on the other hand, they're just, they're not, they're not concerned with light. They just buzz around and buzz around and buzz around even until they make it through the neck and out to the open. The bees remain prisoners of their own logic and the flies meet good fortune that often awaits the simple. And you know what? It doesn't mean that we are simple, but it does mean that the truth is simple. You can try to make it something more than it is, but you know what you do is, is you get away from the truth. You can mess around, you know, at the bottom end of the barrel or the the jar. But it's the other way that's the way out. The Jews or the Jewish leaders were, were like bees in the bottle. I mean, they thought that they already knew the answers. They refused to look anywhere else. They refused to listen to Jesus. And isn't it interesting? Jesus once said to them that they were whitewashed tombs. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead man's bones and everything unclean. Isn't it interesting that these skeptics didn't argue with the miracles of Jesus? They just didn't recognize them as signs. They couldn't argue with the facts So they majored on minors, as the saying goes. 
They tried to put up smoke screens. They made other things more important, at least in their own minds, and tried to convince others of it. Breaking the Sabbath or other theological issues somehow taking front and center when it ought to be Jesus and Jesus alone as the Messiah, the Savior, the only one who could save them. And yet notice how frustrating it is to go against the truth. I mean, they finally reached the point where they wanted to kill Jesus. And this time they were angry enough that they were going to carry through with it. Now the building or the temple had been under construction for years by this time. And they're in, they're in the temple area. I think they're actually picking up bricks and stones that were supposed to be used to build the temple and honor God. They're going to use it now to kill his son. And it's not because you've done miracles. It's because you've blasphemed. How can you blaspheme? How can you be lying when you claim to be God when you can do the things that he could do? Skepticism has no basis in the truth. Thirdly, as we consider skepticism, we must also consider its consequences. Jesus says, you do not believe in me because you're not my sheep. What a blunt statement. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. The religious leaders of the day thought they were the ones qualified to sit in judgment upon Jesus. How presumptuous and what a mistake they made. Because they lost out on the chance to have their sins forgiven. They lost out on a chance to have a true personal relationship with God through Jesus. They lost out on the free gift of eternal life that Jesus was so willing to offer them. And so, my friends, does any skeptic. It's dangerous not to believe. It's dangerous, eternally dangerous to think that you know better than Jesus what the truth is and what your needs are. So what's the answer then? It has to do with a single word, faith. But not just faith in the sense of believing somebody or something is out there. No, this faith is very specific. It's faith in Jesus. Faith in Christ as your Savior. Jesus is exactly who he claims to be. His miracles, his signs, the teaching of Jesus, the example that he set for them in his three and a half years of public ministry, and most importantly, the sacrifice he made at Calvary where he offered himself in place of the world, where he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Talk about an amazing statement. (laughs) 
But he not only gave his life as a sacrifice in your place and mine on Cal- or on Good Friday, but he rose on Easter Sunday. He rose to give us the gifts that he promised. Paul puts it this way in Romans 4, that he, Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And through faith in him, then you and I, any person, can gain everything that you now lack. Forgiveness, a personal relationship with God, and even possession of the gift of eternal life. Now, you may have other plans. You may have other priorities. And maybe you've hidden behind a wall of skepticism just so you could pursue your authorities and still, you know, try to feel holy. That's really what the religious leaders were doing. They were hypocrites. They pretended to be what they weren't. Jesus saw right through it. My question to you today is if you are a skeptic yourself, is there anything that the world could offer you that is worth more than what Jesus bought and paid for to give to you as a free gift? Is there anything? Where else do you get forgiveness? At least the kind of forgiveness that Jesus offers. Where else do you get the gift of faith to believe in spite of the fact that believing is hard? Where else do you get the gift of faith to trust that Jesus' promises are really true and that you, by faith alone, possess the gift of eternal life? Now, you may still have some doubts. I suppose the preacher shouldn't say this, but I have doubts too from time to time. There are times when I, I, I question things. But it never does me any good. The good thing is that Jesus, through his word, can deal with those doubts. And the fact of the matter is that much of life is and will remain a mystery to us. The ways of God are beyond our ability to completely fathom them. But answers to our questions is not our deepest need. Do you realize that? Answers to your questions is not your deepest need. Kind of like a a man refusing to submit to surgery to remove a malignant tumor because he doesn't want to face the fact that he has an illness. Not very smart. You may think, oh, I could never trust in a God who leaves so many questions unanswered. Well, you're right. You couldn't. He's done something about that too. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, The good news of all that he's accomplished, that gospel has the power to create faith where it didn't exist before, will enable you to trust in Christ as your Savior. He will cause you to be born anew and make a new person of you. And you'll discover that he has revealed the answers to the deepest, truly most pressing needs of your soul. Why am I here? Where am I going? All he asks is that you and I don't stand in the way, if you will. 
He'll do all the work. He'll convert you. He'll give you the gift of faith. And by that gift of faith in Christ, he would offer you. He'll enable you to confess your sins to him, to trust in Jesus as your only Savior, and to believe that he does have the answers excuse me, to all the mysteries of life. He'll give you peace about the things that really matter and assurance for all eternity. Because you see, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith in Christ is the end of skepticism and it is also the beginning of eternal life. And may you, by his grace, experience that gift personally. And may it you for all eternity. Amen. Father, thank you for your word again to us today. Thank you for Jesus, who really is one with you, who didn't come up here or down here, whatever whatever the direction is. He didn't come into this world to, to fool us. He came to save us. And thank you that your word has the power to convey faith to us that we might trust in him and have hope for eternity. Bless us all to that end today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.